I dabble in a lot of things. I dabbled in Pinterest. I dabble in Instagram reels and things like that. Absolutely hated that. TikTok dabbled in that, despised TikTok. And I just thought, I'm a one-woman show. It's just me. I'm building this brand completely by myself. I have limited time to spend on this type of stuff. I'm going to funnel it to one channel that I know works for us and I'm going to do it really, really well. And I think that has got us far better returns than me trying to do all of the various channels. Hi, and welcome to the Bright Minds of E-Commerce podcast. I'm Dana, founder of Bright Red Marketing. And after helping so many businesses in the e-commerce space over the years, I wanted to bring you the best advice from Australian experts in e-commerce and e-commerce store owners. If you want any relatable stories and actionable advice and the latest Facebook advertising strategies, you're in the right place. Want help with your Facebook and Instagram ads? Remember, you can always book in a free strategy session at brightredmarketing.com.au forward slash free dash strategy dash session. We'll run through your ads, see what's working and what's not, and no sales pitch, I promise. So let's get into today's episode. Today we're here with Emma from Forever Dolls. Welcome, Emma. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, Phil. It's so exciting to have you. So for those who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about your business and how you got started? Sure. So I design and create 18-inch vinyl dolls, which is a relatively new product sort of genre in Australia, but it's quite well known in the American markets and things like that. So they're about 45 centimetres and they're just an older version of a baby doll. So they're in that sort of older age bracket. And we have been going for about seven years now. And I created it when my oldest was six and she wanted an American girl doll, but it was far too expensive to bring one into Australia. So at that time, I needed an out from my corporate job. And thought, why not just give dolls a go? Very naively, just jumped straight into it. And seven years later, I've got a blooming doll business. Amazing. So we were talking before we started the recording around the journey you've had with profits for the business. Can you share some of your lessons around this and what you do differently if you were starting again? Yeah, definitely. It's been a real roller coaster financially to run this type of business. I was completely unaware when I dived into it that vinyl casting is an incredibly expensive industry. So the dolls are made from a metal cast, which is poured with vinyl. It's a very labor intensive process. And there's a reason there's not a lot of small businesses. Well, there's zero small businesses aside from me (laughs) doing this sort of stuff is because it's very, very expensive. And if something goes wrong, Like if there's a fault with your manufacturing, it's really a big impact to the business. So I wasn't aware of that when I first started out and I really, I was just caught up in the excitement of making sales because I didn't get my first sale in my business for nine months. I didn't sell a single doll for nine months. So when I finally did starting selling dolls, when I put rainbow hair on them, I was like, yay, selling dolls. I'm just going to keep going and going. But I really wasn't factoring in my time, true cost of materials, like the actual real cost of materials. It was kind of a bit of a guessing game. And there was also a point in the market, like a cost barrier. I really tried to, when I tried to push my pricing up, I really did hit the ceiling of that, I realized. So then I had to go back and try and push the cost of my manufacturing down, which was incredibly hard because we make a very high quality product. So I really do wish that I had the foresight to think about where I wanted the business to be in say three, five, 10 years. 
and plan for that a little bit more when I was setting it up because now I'm having to go back seven years in and basically start from scratch, go back to my manufacturers, redo all of those things, get all my costings in place because we plan to move into the US market next year. So I'm almost starting over again. Oh man. Was there any sort of like turning point or strategy that really helped you nail that? Because I know that that sort of profit margins part is something that a lot of businesses struggle with. Even clients of ours that come in and they're like, oh, this is my margin. And then three years in, they work out, they're like, actually, that wasn't quite right. And we're actually not making yeah. enough money. Was there anything that sort of really changed that for you? I think it was probably five years into the business, we'd started to see some real growth. Like I'd quit my corporate job. I'd left my corporate job and I was fully into the doll business and sales were ramping up. Like we did very, very close to a million dollars one year. And I did my accounting the year after my tax and realized we had made maybe $30,000 profit of a million dollar year. Oh, man. <laughs> and I, I literally <laughs> had to funnel that all back into buying more materials for the next round of stock. That really made me stop and think, yeah, we've had some amazing growth. We've got like over twenty, thirty thousand dolls out there into the market. Like little girls are absolutely loving them, which is amazing. But this is a business. I need to pay myself at some point. Yeah. So that was a huge eye opener for me because I'd just been chasing revenue. Everything was like revenue, revenue, revenue. And then I was like, well, actually, I really need to <laughs> start thinking about profit. So then I read the Profit First book. I love um, that book so much. Yes. <laughs> and it was a huge eye opener for me. But I will be super honest and say it took me a long time to actually get into putting it in place. And I'm only really now just getting into my rhythm with it because I had a lot of catching up to do. Like the business had acquired quite a bit of debt operating like that. So I had to like dig myself out of that. And now I've gone back to almost startup phases where I'm buying my stock in much smaller quantities so I don't have to put myself in debt to buy those huge, huge quantities. So we're going to ramp up small, which is what I probably should have done in the first place, but I was so focused on getting all that revenue in. I think I was 10 years in when I read Profit First and I'm convinced I wouldn't have survived COVID without it, like that yeah. COVID pandemic time. I think it should be a mandatory thing they send out <laughs> to small business owners. When you register your business, you should be given a copy of Profit First. It's like, what is it, in Norway or something, when you have a baby, they send you a baby box? It needs to be yes. like a business box. It's got Profit First. <laughs> yeah, there's a business idea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people talk about it. Anyone listening, you can start that if you're like, oh, we'll take it, we'll work it out. Oh. You talked about going into some debt. If you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about that financing journey? Because it's not something a lot of people freely speak about. Yeah. And when I say debt, it was debt to my, our, ourselves personally. So yeah. we we were very fortunate in that we were able to fund such an expensive business. I think this is another reason why there's no one else in this market. Yeah. It costs around like around $350,000 for a single order of stock for us. That's not that's a lot of money. That is a lot. But I had to pay m that money back to our family within 12 months. So mm -hmm. cash flow wise, paying back a loan of that size within 12 months was crippling. Absolutely crippling. 
And then I just got into this spiral of doing that over and over and that's where I was just getting nowhere. I could get no traction because I was always battling my cash flow. Then I started doing the PayPal loans, the yeah, which have got a huge interest rate on them. Then I got a business credit card just to help ease the burden and that just crept up and up and up. So once I realized I was just digging a bigger and bigger hole each year, I really had to put a stop to that. And we've pretty much paid off all of our director's loan. That's what they call it when you borrow from your own finances to pay for the business stuff. Pretty much paid my director's loan now, which I'm very, very happy about in full every single dollar. (laughs) My PayPal loans are paid off and I've still got my credit card, but I've reduced it significantly down and it's just going to be an everyday card now. Well, I've got my clean slate after seven years so I can start fresh, which feels amazing, I must say. That's amazing. Knowing now that you're on the other side of it, what would you have done differently in terms of needing that money and needing that extra cash flow? So one of the things that I thought was I will make my profit when I can buy in bigger volumes. That's what I thought because then the cost of my materials goes down. But the equations were all out. That actually didn't stack up for me at all because I was having to pay back those loans to ourselves so quickly because none of the banks would touch me at that point. Like there was... Not a single bank in the world that wanted to have even a conversation with me about it. And the grants were just so hit and miss. So I would order in smaller quantities and I would gradually build up that little stockpile of money to buy the stock and without having that big looming debt hanging over me. Something that I've been really impressed with what you guys do is the subscriptions. Obviously, increasing your average order value and the lifetime value of a customer is something that a lot of people sort of struggle with. It's one of those things that's really important to focus on. I think your subscription box is such a wonderful way to do that, and it really makes sense with your product. Can you tell us about how they came about, how they've worked out for you? Yes. I'm a podcast enthusiast. I listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm in my workshop, Packing Dolls. And I was listening to a podcast once and they mentioned subscription box services, which aren't very widely known here in Australia. In the US, they're huge. They reckon in the US market, a single person has between four and six subscriptions. That's insane. Insane. Whereas in Australia here, it's a very, very current. So I thought that's a really interesting concept because I had a lot of dolls accessories at the time, but it like moved in waves. And I thought for me, buying a single outfit for each month was much better than me buying 10 outfits and putting them on the website because I got a better price for the single outfit. So I thought I'll just give it a go. And in our very first month, we signed up, I think it was 150 subscribers of my current doll buyers. So that was really good. And I've kind of kept it at around the 150 to 200 mark over the space of the last three years. We've been running the subscription service and we've had people stay with us for that full three years, which is amazing. And it just gives, I just know at the start of every month, I'm going to get a nice big chunk of money coming in, which will pay my business basics. So all of my services, everything that I need to pay my business comes in at the start of the month. So then after that, it's all just stock and profit, which is amazing. That's incredible. I imagine the kids love it too. (laughs) They do. They absolutely love it. We get a lot of feedback that it's 
kids love getting mail, but they very, very rarely do these days. So they put their children's name on the subscription. So it's posted to them and they get this little parcel in the mail and they love it because it's for their little bestie doll. I love it so much. Talking about the actual dolls and the children, I love the positive, the body positive angle of your dolls. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that all works, those decisions, those sorts of things? Yeah, when we were researching dolls in the very early days, there was a lot of the Bratz dolls and the LOL dolls and there was that controversy about some of the hidden body markings on the LOL dolls. I'm not sure if anyone's aware of that. Just Google it. It's horrifying. (laughs) And my daughter was at a very susceptible age, like six. She was sort of just getting into an awareness of all of that stuff. So I really wanted a doll that was modern and trendy but still not sexualized in any way so they were very beautiful to look at but still very much a little girl so not an adult doll and we found that a lot of the dolls that we were getting they would have a very tapered waist so they'd have an hourglass figure six-year-olds don't have hourglass figures (laughs) a little up and down so you'll if you get one of our dolls they are straight up and down they are not these super super skinny dolls they're a thicker doll a normal realistic size compared to the head and the limbs they've got a little bum because a lot of the dolls don't have any sort of features into it so we tried to make them as realistic as possible yeah I love that. And I imagine that's probably a big part of your success. Although apparently also the rainbow hair was a big driver of that. The rainbow hair was the key. So our first order was 300 dolls. And I had these for nine months without selling a single doll. They were in my cupboard. And I was getting quite desperate to sell these dolls because I thought I've done the wrong thing. I've picked the wrong product. I need to just get rid of them now. And I saw in the US there was a huge movement for people upgrading their American Girl dolls, which is the major doll brand over there. So they were buying these rainbow wigs to put on that doll to zhuzh them up. I thought, I'm going to get a few of these wigs and see if that helps me. So I brought a few of them and I sold all of my dolls in a matter of weeks. Just that one small pivot of rainbow hair. The doll was exactly the same. Quality was exactly the same. It was just the hair that changed. It's amazing how in business some of those small decisions make the biggest difference. Like you would never have known that starting buying your first $300 and then all of a sudden rainbow hair, ta-da, you're successful. Yeah, that's it. And also I had the age bracket completely wrong. I was aiming for three to five or six when it's actually five or six to 10 and older that love our dolls. It's the older girls, which makes me really happy that older girls are still playing with dolls. Like they're still little, they still want to play. We haven't really talked much about your marketing. Other than changing from normal coloured hair to rainbow hair, what was your marketing like in the early days versus now? Facebook has been a huge driver behind our marketing. We got started on Facebook straight away and we gathered a good following almost instantly. And these women have stuck with us over the years. It's been great. So predominantly all we've done is uh, mainly Facebook orientated stuff. But then we've also probably about four years ago, really got into the email marketing because it's just a really good place to have a conversation. It's a very visual product, so it could do really well on Instagram. I just don't love the platform. So (laughs) 
doesn't resonate with me. That's fair. <laughs> I don't use it that much, but Facebook I feel comfortable in and I have good conversations with our customers in there and they give us feedback from there and it's really good. Yeah, I think that's so important. I think everyone is so, oh, what's the new social platform? What's new? What's exciting? And it comes down to who's your customer? Like the reason yeah. Instagram is really popular is because the millennial Gen Z are really into Instagram and they're moving into TikTok and Snapchat and those sorts of things. But I'd say that your demographic of mums probably are still really on Facebook. Yeah, absolutely are. I did dabble in a lot of things. I dabbled in Pinterest. I did dabble in Instagram reels and things like that. Absolutely hated that. TikTok dabbled in that, despised TikTok. And I just thought, I'm a one-woman show. It's just me. I'm building this brand completely by myself. I have limited time to spend on this type of stuff. I'm going to funnel it to one channel that I know works for us and I'm going to do it really, really well. And I think that has got us far better returns than me trying to do all of the various channels. 100% agree. I think everyone just gets real caught up on trying to be trendy rather than staying in the place that works for you and your customers. Yeah, that's it. We just honestly, it's Facebook and email marketing. They're the two two things we do. Pick a couple, do them well, and yeah, that's it. Do you think there's anything that we've missed? We've obviously covered quite a lot. We'd like to keep them short and sweet, but is there anything else that you think is something that you've got that would be really good value for our listeners? I just think we're stepping back at the minute because we're going through a whole major breakdown of our business behind the scenes because we're planning to move into the US and we're moving into the US with our subscription box because the 18-inch doll industry in America is really popular and widely known and I know our boxes will do amazing over there. So that part of our business is going over to the US and it's actually been, it's like a little rebirthing behind the scenes of the business. New websites, we've brought the .com domain, we're doing all of these sorts of things and it's really fun to be able to do that again but have all the knowledge that I've built up over the years to be able to do it right this time. How exciting. Yeah. I'm excited for you. We might have to do a, another little catch-up chat once you finish launching into the US and see how it all went for you. We're definitely on track to launch in 2024 with the subscription box. I'm excited for you. <laughs> we'll just get into the last couple of questions we ask everyone. Do you have any strategies or habits that you follow each day to help you stay on track? I am a big pen and paper girl with all of my... <laughs> I plan my month out on paper and then I plan my week out and then I plan my day out. And I find that having that long planning in place helps me to get the momentum I need to get stuff done. Because as I said, I'm doing it all. So there's a lot of things to juggle. Do you have a favorite business book? I do, Profit First. Yep. Fantastic. Thought that was going to be your answer. And you said you listen to a lot of podcasts. So I'm excited to hear your favorite podcast. You can have a top three if you need a top three. Yes. I listen to Denise Duffield-Thomas. She is a money mindset coach, so that's been a big one for us. I also listen to Subscription Box Resources. I think that's a big focus for us at the moment. So if anyone is thinking about adding a subscription box to their business, there are some amazing podcasts out there for that one. And I listen to you. Thank you. And if people want to find out more about your dolls, they want to buy one, what's the best way for them to visit you? They can jump over online and visit us at foreverdolls.com.au. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Bright Minds of E-Commerce podcast. As always, you can find the show notes at brightredmarketing.com.au forward slash episode 45. Thanks for listening.